hello everyone, uh, this is data-driven Formula One, and uh, I'm Ganna Pogrebna, and uh, Patrick Hans is with me as always. <laughs> Today we're hey, talking... Hi, Patrick. Uh, and today we're talking about 1954 season of Formula One championship. Yeah, it will be very interesting because it will have a slight change in uh, color. So I think uh, interesting to talk about, uh, and that's the positive. Uh, maybe, and this also applies for the next reason. Uh, unfortunately, also, we have to speak a little bit more about fatal accidents. Uh, this year, uh, even more extreme um, next year, not directly in Formula One at in 55, we had the very uh, infamous accident at Le Mans, which also strongly affected Formula One, but let's say this is a small spoiler for next time. But first let's uh, start off with uh, 1954. Yeah, that's right. So this is the table uh, as usual. So this is kind of a season in a nutshell. And um, I think uh, there are two things that uh, will jump at uh, many people is that uh, drivers are changing um, teams uh, mid-season. Uh, so constructor mid-season. Yeah, we just need to kind of make, uh, make it clear that, uh, you know, there was really no formal team championship, which was why you know that the, the drivers were not that attached to 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 um, particular make of a car and then another i think thing that jumps at you is the fastest lap of the british grand prix which has <laughs> many people there but one winner um juan manuel fangio but the other um actually i don't even know how many one two three four five six seven people <laughs> yeah, seven people uh, fastest lap but uh, actually, uh, maybe uh, you will know it this better than me also uh, a topic of the sensors as uh, at that time the stopwatches maybe not that uh, sensible as today yeah exactly we yes. assume this also affected here Yes, exactly. But also, I just want at this stage, I think um, at some point we probably want, want to talk about this separately, is about um, kind of the visual perception of Formula One as a sport. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, this in these early seasons, you will see quite a few times that there are kind of there will be multiple people with fastest lap and many overtakes and a lot of risk taking. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, it has many reasons, um, but, uh, you know, currently, well, obviously uh, at the moment, like as, as we, at least as the sport progressed, uh, um, it, it became less and less, and less uh, possible and I guess less probable to overtake other drivers uh, during the race. But, um, you know, at those times it was very, sometimes it was very close and you could have multiple people um, uh, kind of going at pretty much similar speed. Uh, so a lot of interesting, um, so that, that all affected the visibility of the sport and this is why so many people watched it live. Uh, and then, you know, after kind of, in in, um, Later seasons, we will obviously also see the TV audience was huge, 
But if we watch, I think, races currently, they're not as exciting. Uh, I think many people would agree with that. It's just because, uh, you know, yeah, it's uh, uh, part of it is safety reasons, but part of it is also broadcasting uh, reasons and tracks, like how circuits yeah. are chosen. So yeah. I think we could talk about Bernie Eccleston and, <laughs> and his impact <laughs> at one point <laughs> on the sport and, uh, you know, um, I don't know, yeah, tobacco and sponsorships of... and all this. Uh, so very interesting strategic things. Yeah, gonna, uh, just to add also, uh, then we would speak about uh, aerodynamics because today's cars, uh, they have very sophisticated aerodynamics. They are tested in the wind tunnels, uh, but often the problem is these aerodynamics uh, uh, only work perfectly if there's no car uh, behind, uh, straight behind. Yeah, yes. I think I, I completely agree. I think, yeah, there are several reasons. So there's the choice of circuits and, uh, uh, you know, the impact of advertisers. Uh, on uh, on the sport has changed with time. Definitely, aerodynamics is a big deal because yeah, you you cannot simply have a, a car just behind you because that just completely blinds the person who is trying to follow you. Is you know. Yes, and uh, about aerodynamics, we will speak here also in um, in the 1954 uh, season as it become uh, more and more a topic, and we will see the photos, especially from the uh, Mercedes Benz. Yeah, yeah, we will see the change in makes, uh, uh, yeah. that that will be really, really pronounced. And uh, yeah, so definitely, I think, but I think we need to um, to make a separate episode, episode about, uh, the you know, the visual perception. Because, yeah. you know, currently I find that a lot of times when you watch uh, a Formula One uh, race uh, now, they tell you, oh, you know, today, um, like a particular driver has gone, I don't know, uh, seven seconds faster or six seconds faster than Michael Schumacher back in whatever year or Senna in whatever year. But you know for sure which one was more exciting to watch. And that had multiple reasons. And, uh, you know, that has to do, like, has business reasons, analytics reasons, and also, you know, engineering reasons. <laughs> um, yes, and also, I mean, uh, uh, you know, we have the technical development uh, by the engineers. They built every season a better car, a faster car. And uh, faster car, again, mean more... Uh, the problem, of course, with safety. So maybe every five, seven years, uh, the FIA uh, changed the regulations to uh, break, uh, yeah. make the cars slower. And then again, the engineers, uh, based on the new regulations, start slowly to make them again faster and faster until the FIA uh, pushes them back to make them a bit slower, mainly yeah. because of safety reasons. I think there is also a trade-off right between safety and trying to equalize uh, the. Um, um, chances. Uh, so there were like budget uh, limitations at one point yes. and like engine limitations and all sorts of things. So yeah, that definitely is something that we will talk along the way, but equally probably we will do several overviews of how, you know, the dynamics of it, because yeah, when we discuss each season, you probably don't notice <laughs> the, these things. Yeah, anyway, so exciting season. Um, Fangio came out as a winner and uh, yeah like one thing that you could uh, you could observe uh, in this um, in this table in particular is that Fangio was uh, 
uh, racing for Maserati and then <laughs> changed to Mercedes. Well, generally, I'd say that that was not a very good season for Maserati because a lot of uh, bad things happened with them, yeah, right? Exactly. So they... and, uh, but also we have to, to say the same what we already discussed for the 52 season. Maserati was uh, very strong. They uh, won the Argentinian Grand Prix and also the Belgian Grand Prix. But uh, they did this in absence of uh, Mercedes-Benz, uh, which only started in the French Grand Prix. So they, they had been, uh, I mean, they had a relatively new uh, 204, which was the superior car in, in the beginning. Uh, also because, uh, and here also of course apply limited budget, uh, Ferrari uh, practically only developed their, the cars from the earlier season. So they not developed a new car and this just, there was no big uh, competition for Maserati in the beginning. And then uh, starting at the fourth Grand Prix in, uh, in uh, France, in Rennes, uh, Daniela Benz uh, entered and honestly they entered uh, with a superior car and uh, that uh, meant uh, the end for Maserati's victory, at least in the 54 season. Yeah, I also want to, to at this point mention Alberto Oscari, who probably had a, the worst time of this season as well, because it was his chance to confirm his title from previous year, but he was not even able to do that because there was no no car <laughs> that he could, uh, you know, Alancia wasn't ready, so he had to wait a long time. Then eventually he decided, and you know, they decided that, the, that it was a team decision, I guess. So he will, he will just race in Ferrari, and uh, you know, he 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 just. I think it was probably the worst. The worst. Uh, I guess it's the worst thing for every driver. Uh, to kind of win the previous season and then not being able to even, you know, not even have a chance, much chance to <laughs> to prove yourself yes. in the next season. Yeah, yeah it, uh, I mean, we had this uh, with uh, Fancho uh, after, um, in, in the 52 season, where he didn't have a car. Uh, let's say going to more modern time, it reminded me a little bit to Damon Hill, who won the championship and then changed uh, if I'm correct, to arrows and this car was nowhere competitive, so he was yeah, yeah. quite at the end of the field. Yeah, exactly. And I think he was talking about it in, in a few interviews that he didn't have a seat even, like, right? So yeah, he, he just, uh, it's, it's amazing, like you can have, and this is also kind of shows you how um, how important it is to consider all, all all parts of this complicated puzzle called Formula One when you go into a season, because you could be a reigning champion, but you might not even have a seat next year. You know that's yeah. how uncertain it is. And uh, we will talk about yeah, like uh, yeah, Damon Hill is definitely uh, the guy that comes to mind with in a similar in a similar situation. But equally, there will be some other examples, uh, notable yeah. examples. So we'll take you through. So I guess, yeah, we could probably, unless uh, uh, you want to make any other points, uh, Patrick, we could go straight uh, no, into the first race. <laughs> no, let's go directly to the beginning. And as already in the last uh, two years, it was in Argentina mm -hmm. and it was uh, Juan Manuel Fangio's first uh, home victory. Of course, always very important um, for a driver winning for the home crowd. So luckily, he now uh, got uh, this. As we mentioned, uh, Lancia had this very uh, unique new car, which, by the way, we can see on this photo. 
it was it was uh, it had very high uh, expectation it was uh, designed by vittorio Jano, a very talented uh, engineer uh, who started uh, his career in fiat then enzo ferrari managed it, him um, uh, to go to uh, his company ferrari uh, first they worked together in alfa romeo then uh, he joined him at the uh, independent ferrari company but uh, decided to take the opportunity uh, to go to a complete new team, the Lancia team. And uh, he designed practically this D50, who was very fast and uh, should become uh, very successful uh, two years later. But uh, as we already discussed in 52, as, yeah, 54, sorry, uh, it practically uh, only drove at the very last um, race in Italy. Mm -hmm. so. Exactly, exactly. But I guess, yeah, it was worth the wait. But uh, yeah, it took a long time to, to, to do it. And this is the, the actual, this Lanzia car that you see on your screen right now. Uh, that's this D50, D50 model. Uh, that was uh, a long awaited model. Um, uh, I guess for Ascari in particular, <laughs> because he was hoping to race that at the beginning of the season, was not able to do that until the end of the season yeah so uh, yeah, i think it's I, also I mean, it important to like one thing i forgot to say sorry sorry patrick to interrupt but yeah one thing i forgot to say that sterling moss is in this season of, of finally yeah. <laughs> uh, so we will talk about him separately like what a guy but you know the, you could already see him kind of in uh, in uh, in the table there uh, that we showed you in, on the previous slide with um, uh, silverstone grand prix but you know um definitely also a very notable figure and he was trying to get into formula one the previous season like we told you and uh, didn't have a car <laughs> ready so you know lots of uh, lo lots of um, uh, complications there yeah yeah uh, i just wanted to uh, jump back shortly to uh, mm. ascari i mean you can Im i mean he, we know he was a good friend uh, with uh, enzo ferrari so we may only speculate uh, why he changed uh, the team. Uh, you, seeing all the technical problems uh, it had in that season, you may say maybe this was not a good idea. On the other hand, uh, uh, purely on the paper, the D50 was uh, superior to the Ferrari uh, that year. So, I mean, it, it was a bit gambling, but it was not non-logically to go to the Lancia team for Ascari. Also, yeah. sometimes uh, drivers like uh, uh, to prove themselves that they not only had been able to win because of the car, but uh, because of their skills. So, yes, it was uh, risky and um, it not worked out that uh, season. And in general, it not really worked out for him. Uh, but it was not uh, a non-logical step for Ascari. Yeah, of course, it's a, it's a strategic move, uh, you know, and uh, in the hope to be in a better in a in a better car but then you know if the car is not ready it's not ready like there's not much you can do about it and uh, yeah you just have to sit 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 things out until it's ready and uh, you know uh, these things happen uh, used, yeah. well used to happen more than they do but yeah they, they do happen yeah okay and, and also interesting uh, uh, our uh, friend Nino Farina, uh, he scored the pool position uh, in the Ferrari and he did this uh, in an age of 47 years. 
So this is a record for the pole position, which uh, still stands uh, up to today. And uh, honestly, I don't think that anybody will break this record ever. Because in average, the Formula One drivers became younger and younger. Well, we don't know. So we Maybe, you know, maybe we will have a person that is like, maybe it will become more age friendly and we will, I, I guess we will separately talk about women in Formula One. I'm hoping that someday there will be a female, but we, we did have female drivers, by the way, um, but none of them. Even at the end of the uh, 1950s, I don't know, in 58 or somewhere, but we will come uh, to this. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah. So, I mean, I'm optimistic. I think it might yes. become more, uh, more inclusive. Yeah, currently, definitely not very inclusive uh, sport in terms of, you know, being a Formula One driver. And there is a lot of self-selection to that. But yeah, yes. I mean, it's, it's true but that it becomes younger and younger, but uh, hopefully we will also see some inclusivity. Uh, yes, later. I, I agree to be. This is missing at the moment. And uh, we still ha only have one female test driver for Alfa Romeo, but I, I don't uh, see that she has big chances to really join a cockpit for a season. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I don't also know many, um, you know, when, when we talk about uh, like racial uh, uh, issues, I mean, that's, a, that's, I guess, again, a separate topic here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So mostly, mostly most of the drivers are white male <laughs> with very rare exceptions <laughs> with like notable very notable rare exceptions but yeah. uh, i mean they they are like they're all they're, they're all great guys but you know you, you it's just yeah it's just mostly yeah. guys and mostly white <laughs> yeah i guess the first non-white drivers if i'm uh, right we had in the 1980s uh, with uh, some drivers from japan i don't know if he had any asian drivers before that yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, we will find out, like, I mean, I, I don't, yeah, we, I need to, come yeah. There. yeah, we will come there, like, it's an interesting, it's an interesting topic. Um, yeah, so meanwhile, oh, after Argentina, we go to Indianapolis, and again, Bill Vukovic, um, uh, one in the same car, basically, it was exactly the same car, uh, but, you know, had a lot, took him a lot more. Mm, a lot more skill and a lot more uh, work to get yes. to the first place, right? Yes, uh, correct. It's the same car, so not uh, the superior technology, but nevertheless, uh, Indianapolis 500 uh, is normally an event where you need a lot of skills. And uh, I'm not completely sure uh, how it is today, but uh, I remember still in the 1990s, early 2000s, the average age of the uh, IndyCar drivers had been uh, higher than in Formula One. And we even saw that uh, some people retired in Formula One and then continued their career in IndyCar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That still happens. And we we'll even will see some team principals uh, later on who actually yeah, competed in, in Indy uh, and then went into Formula One. So. Yeah, yeah. Lots, lots of interesting parallels there. Belgium. So that's also another very interesting, interesting race. Yeah. yeah. Spa Francochamps, as uh, mentioned before, is really a, a very interesting uh, racetrack. Uh, or 
very fast, uh, very difficult, so you need uh, quite a, some skills. And uh, here we had uh, again uh, Giuseppe Ferrari uh, who returned and uh, he used uh, the Ferrari 553, which was the newer development. Ferrari at that uh, year, uh, and we'll come to this later, used uh, two different models, uh, practically an overworked 500 and the new 553 which included, and this was a uh, technology advancements, a tubular space frame in opposite to all the other race cars at that time. Yeah, exactly. So we had Nina Farina, uh, kind of who was uh, very, uh, kind of emerged as a hero of this, uh, of this race. But also, yeah, there was an interesting uh, incident with um, Mike uh, Horton. Um, and um, yeah, we had, uh, Basically, um, again, it's very important to mention this difference between uh, early day race racing and now and current racing that uh, uh, drivers were actually not able to. Well, they uh, so yeah, they they could basically you could switch the drivers. That's what I want to say. So if they were not able to continue, you could uh, have a shared yeah. drive. Yeah. And this for uh, practically, I would assume, uh, two reasons. Uh, first of all, it was much more difficult uh, to drive these cars. They had no technical support, so it was really uh, much harder than drive uh, a today's car. And on the other hand, uh, if you see the photos, the drivers, they not have been that athletic uh, than uh, today. So they don't spend maybe four hours in the gym every day as today's drivers do. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, yeah, the, the other problem was that uh, Mike uh, Hawthorne was um, actually injured in Syracuse uh, um, accidents. He, he had uh, pretty severe burns from, from, that, yes. uh, from that race. And yeah, so um, um, yeah, luckily you could, like you could switch at the time, it was allowed. And so, um, uh, yeah, Gonzalez uh, basically replaced him. But yeah, I mean, that this was quite uh, also, I think, uh, quite a shock for, for Ferrari team because, uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, Hawthorne was basically, he, they had to kind of take him out of the car. So he was yes. not, you know, he, he was lifted out of his car. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so that was, was also quite a, quite a significant event for the season. Exactly. And uh interesting technical uh, development it was uh, the first time a driver had a camera i assume on their uh, helmet uh, to do some uh, filming so what is uh, completely normal these uh, days that we have uh, the live pictures body uh, comes the body <laughs> comes the live pictures from all different angels angles from the car uh, of course we didn't have this and uh, really now in 54 this was the first complete where uh, some uh, driver uh, filmed uh, from his personal perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's all kind of contributed to the future visibility of racing. And then we come uh, to the 1954 season. As mentioned, uh, this was the Grand Prix where uh, Mercedes-Benz uh, entered um, the championship. And uh, first of all, uh, big thanks to the Mercedes team because they have a great uh, website with a big media archive where you can get actual photos, photos from back in time. You get them in different solutions from high race 
uh, up to Loris if you want to share photos on social media, whatever. So uh, big thanks to them. And uh, if you are interested in Mercedes, uh, there is a lot to uh, find out. Uh, interesting uh, also from my point of view, when you think about Formula One, you practically only think about uh, open wheel uh, race cars. Uh, but this wasn't always the case. Uh, for example, uh, Mercedes entered uh, the season with this aerodynamic uh, car, so we see uh, closed uh, wheels, mm -hmm. as already existed in uh, Grand Prix uh, before the Second World War. Uh, the advantage, of course, better aerodynamics, faster cars, uh, etc. On the other hand, um, a little bit more difficult uh, to drive that's the reason why uh, Mercedes went back from this concept because uh, they won the, Fran uh, the French Grand Prix, but uh, they struggled uh, in the next one. And this uh, due to these uh, problems of that these cars are difficult to, to drive. So later for the German Grand Prix, they entered with the uh, car with the non-aerodynamic uh, version, which we will see also see on later photos. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I guess this is, uh, again, where we have to repeat. I mean, probably currently a lot of people have uh, uh, complete confusion in their minds. Uh, there is, uh, like on this picture that you see, you see Carl Kling uh, in, Merce in Mercedes uh, and uh, Fangio in Mercedes, but uh, Alberto Ascari in Maserati. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people probably wondering like what's going on, like why like all this um, uh, complete mix up with teams, uh, because yeah, the teams didn't really exist uh, in the, the the way we, the constructor championship did not exist. Yeah. So what was uh, in place was driver's championship and the points uh, like in previous years were awarded, uh, like you would get eight points for first uh, um, yeah, uh, uh, then six, four, uh, two, and one point you would get for fastest lap. So, so essentially this was the point system at the time, and it was only concerning drivers. So you could in principle race whatever, whatever you wanted, um, uh, whatever was ready for you to race as well. And uh, yeah, but, but you can see how different, how different Mercedes, uh, Mercedes is from Maserati. Uh, on this picture, yeah, but uh, exactly. And maybe uh, another thing is that uh, um, maybe at that time it was wasn't so difficult uh, to learn a new car because we see uh, Alberto Ascari switched uh, from uh, say from one weekend to another to Maserati, and he was able to be in pole position. Uh, Fancho changed uh, from one race to another from Maserati to Mercedes, and. Uh, continued winning so it wasn't that the cars had been that sensible that uh, or maybe already even developed uh, for particular drivers so and uh, as we discussed before these drivers they not only drove formula one they also drove many times sports car uh, races or any other kind of uh, races yeah i think now it's more precision technology and uh, yeah indeed uh, probably if uh, the car is made for like a specific uh, a specific uh, driver then it's difficult to then adjust it for someone else but yeah that was pretty universal back in the day and uh, yeah we will see how that changed with time as we go along exactly 
Yeah, so just here we come to, yeah, I guess we can talk about Silverstone first and then we can talk about Onofrema Ramon, um, a very young guy who died very, you know, in a, in this, uh, in the training uh, in Nürburgring. Yep. But yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, the, the notable point about Silverstone was that we had, uh, I just counted, I think, seven <laughs> people in <laughs> fastest lap. And uh, that just tells you how exciting it was at the time and how uh, you could actually have close, very close racing um, back in the day. And uh, yeah, so it was, uh, uh, again, very interesting uh, um, a very interesting race in terms of uh, com competitiveness of, of different makes and we will, yep. we will see the makes very shortly. Agreed and uh, UK as it's uh, maybe based on its particularity um, made it uh, quite difficult for the Mercedes drivers to drive this car and that's why Mercedes decided to switch to the open racers and they did it in record time already uh, later and the next one, Germany, they presented the new car. So mm -hmm. again, a very precise and uh, very fast work from the Mercedes team. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think uh, maybe Mercedes was also facing other, th um, you know, other issues apart from, uh, um, I, I think there was also like political, you know, there were also pol pol political tensions that uh, you know the mercedes had to deal with uh, because it was just it was not that that far away from the end of the war and uh, that probably was also a reason why you know there was not very like um, various circuits were not very accommodating of uh, um, of the of the team's ideas anyway but you know it's great that they could adjust quickly yeah uh, yeah, Nürburgring, again, very difficult circuit. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we will see quite a few, um, quite a few fatalities there, uh, especially back in the day. Uh, so, yeah, so this, this fatality happened in training. Like I said before, there were not many fatalities that actually happened um, sorry, it, it was during qualifying, sorry, not in training. Yeah, a lot of, uh, uh, so in, generally in Formula One, many fatalities happened in training rather than during the weekend. I think this was the first death during the racing weekend. Yes, uh, uh, I, uh, as far as I remember, and uh, just to come to your point, maybe it's not that surprising that they, there are so many uh, of these fatalities uh, happen in training because uh, in training uh, you you go uh, to the limit and uh, you try to go to directly up to the limit in the qualification and meaning the day before uh, in the training you somehow try to find out where is my limit and sometimes this means you're overstepping the limit. While in opposite to the race, uh, you know you have a certain number of uh, laps, so you think more uh, regarding sustainability. Uh, as I think it was Fancho uh, who said uh, you don't win uh, the race in the first lap, so you try not to go uh, each time to the limit of, uh, of the car of yourself, so you take a little bit less uh, risk than in the qualification maybe. 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, also, you know, the qualification is your chance to start, start on pole uh, these days. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so, but yeah, extremely uh, unfortunate uh, event. Yeah, he basically, uh, so by here, I mean, Anofre Marimon, he uh, didn't, uh, he, yeah, lost control of the car going into a corner, a very tricky situation for every race, racing driver. And yeah, he was basically killed instantly, like there was no, yeah, nothing could be done about it. And um, yeah, so um, this, I think, uh, had an effect on everyone in the following day when, you know, people had to race. In, exactly. uh, in 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 the actual Grand Prix. Yes, and interesting. Um, besides this fatality, there was no um, team uh, strategy directly from uh, Maserati, as uh, Luigi Villarosi uh, he withdrew. Uh, but uh, his uh, other teammate Sergio Mantovani uh, he started the race the same as Ken Wharton, uh, who started on a private Maserati. So uh, Maserati practically. Uh, uh, let the drivers decide if they wanted to start yes or no. Yeah, and um, I think, yeah, that's again kind of coming back to my point that that was not a good season for Maserati because, um, um, you know, they lost, uh, they lost uh, their top driver. They lost Fangio to Mercedes uh, in the sense that, you know, the, he, he decided to race with Mercedes car. Um, mid-season in, in effect, but he already had the, the win. <laughs> yes. um, so, and, and uh, so that's not a, not a situation you would, you want to find yourself in because, you know, when someone switches and, and that's very, very visible uh, that the switch has occurred and then you also lose uh, uh, a young driver uh, in another race. So that's quite a, quite a big, uh, big blow to your expectations, I guess. Yeah. And uh, same as uh, we discussed uh, with Alberto uh, Ascari, we did uh, one special uh, uh, issue uh, just speaking about uh, Fancho and we concluded that he was very practical. Uh, so he was not very sentimentally attached uh, to the team, but saw where is his opportunity, where uh, he has the opportunity to win. So he started this Maserati, as uh, he already was uh, driving for Maserati the last uh, year, uh, in the beginning Maserati was the superior car, but uh, as he had been getting aware that uh, Mercedes would join, uh, he understood that Mercedes would be the car to beat and... Uh, yeah, and come on. We've just seen uh, Mercedes uh, together with Maserati 250F, which, I mean, I, I really love that car 250F, but, yeah. um, uh, you know, I, I, can, I can see why you would want to try that. I mean, yes. like, yeah, the, the racer in you, in you would probably say, oh, you know what, like, I really want to try that driving that so yeah i think it's just also was a little bit of opportunism but definitely you know i'm sure that it had very good uh, testing uh, results of the mercedes i mean and uh, that's why fungi took that opportunity yep i agree on that ah mm -hmm. uh, switzerland uh, the track the the circuit that does not exist anymore <laughs> yes uh, well, in the sense that it's not raced anymore, yeah. So we, this was the last time 
uh, we had a race in 1954 was the last race and um, uh, so obviously you know Swiss culture is very particular about um, safety mm -hmm. and yeah I think it was just deemed not to be safe right and uh, after Le Mans we will discuss Le Mans separately but yeah it uh, uh, you know, after, um, um, yeah, basically in Le Mans, like, I think we need to provide some context for people who do not know, but uh, many spectators uh, lost their lives in Le Mans. And, um, 83, uh, I think. Yeah, over 80, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, and, uh, you know, this was the reason why uh, yeah, in Switzerland, the Swiss government just decided that it's probably not something they want to have in Switzerland. And uh, because of that, we do not have an opportunity to see races in Switzerland anymore. That's correct. And also, I mean, not only uh, the Swiss Grand Prix, but the... Um, Barcelona, uh, the Barcelona was affected. Yeah, there was quite a few. There was Every quite some changes next year. Yeah, pretty much, uh, well, not everywhere where you had street racing, but yeah, uh, in many places where you had street racing had to basically make a decision whether they want to continue or not. Yeah, yeah. so uh, Italy, uh, yeah, so also uh, in interesting shared drives there. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, this is what I meant, uh, Spain, uh, so again, kind of rele rele relevant to the previous point that in Spain, in Barcelona, you also had a street uh, uh, circuit, which uh, was no longer operational after Le Mans, after the disaster in Le Mans. Yes, and uh, I mean, quite interesting uh, that uh, Spain uh, was the season's uh, final, as it's normally in had not such a tradition as uh, Monza or, or Silverstone or even Germany. Mm -hmm. um, so quite interesting uh, how they did uh, the schedule. Uh, interesting, of, of course, uh, and we see now again the photo is that finally the long-awaited uh, Lancia D50 participated uh, and at least in the qualification it uh, proved uh, right uh, to the expectations as Alberto Ascari immediately uh, could uh, set the uh, fastest uh, lap. And mm -hmm. uh, this not only like in the beginning, uh, uh, as with Maserati, uh, they, they didn't have the Mercedes, but this was, uh, uh, and uh, this was against uh, other competitors as Maserati, as Ferrari, and as uh, Mercedes-Benz. Also, uh, again, Lancia, was practically a complete uh, new team. So uh, this was quite uh, stunning that uh, this D50 uh, was that fast. On the mm -hmm. other hand, uh, the problem was it was fast, but not lasted, meaning... Not, it, not uh, very reliable, yeah, not very reliable. Yeah, not very reliable. Yeah, that's why now we have reliability engineers in Formula One who yes. just, who, whose job was probably one of the most difficult ones because they really need to make sure that stuff is is reliable and works uh, for a long time, or at least last, yes, uh, last race, let's just say. 
Yeah. Yes, but uh, I mean, Lancia, uh, they had been in the very first stage, they first had to get the car running. Uh, and uh, after it gets running, you can think uh, to make it reliable and uh, to make it uh, maybe faster. Yeah. But at least they managed uh, to, uh, to participate officially in the 54 season. Yeah, exactly. So they finally, after all this uh, struggle, they got a car. Yes. in the race and it was fast <laughs> yes yeah it was fast okay right. so now we can actually look at the cars uh, yes mercedes exactly. <laughs> so, uh, here we have the uh, mercedes so as mentioned at the beginning uh, we got some new colors for first time uh, we have silver in the modern uh, formula one uh, races also, uh, we had uh, the first uh, victory for, no, no, sorry, the first uh, championship uh, for a German team or even a non-Italian team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, also like we, we, we discussed this separately, but in case you haven't seen the episode on uh, color colors of, of yeah. uh, racing, do, do watch it. But there, uh, Patrick explained uh, why <laughs> it's silver errors and not, <laughs> not any other color. So it was basically a practical decision in one of the races where Mercedes participated that there was slightly overweight with the car. And they just decided to strip the car off the paint and that gained them a few kilos. <laughs> well, lost them a few kilos in the sense that yes. they, 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 they became, uh, they became yes. lighter and uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, it wasn't Mercedes, it was uh, Auto Union, so they yeah, yeah, what is yeah. Audi. And uh, here on the photos, you see now the open wheel version of the W196, so not uh, the aerodynamic as they have started, but uh, this is the version which they used uh, starting in uh, Germany, so mid-season. Mm -hmm, exactly, so but that's kind of became a kind of traditional uh, color. Exactly. Silver color, yeah. And also, I mean, very nice uh, to see uh, the W196 uh, together with a more modern car. Here, the W04 from 2013. I mean, already seven years old, but let's say it's uh, quite uh, modern. And honestly, it looks quite similar to our logo, just seeing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I absolutely love uh, Sterling, uh, Sterling Moss, uh, who is there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, we will discuss this guy again, uh, like I said. And uh, yeah, so he's there with Lewis Hamilton on the second picture, as you can see, and uh, two makes of Mercedes. And uh, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yes, and uh, speaking a little bit about the design, the I mean, it looks like a very fast, very complete uh, car, like the typical German uh, tradition of Bauhaus form uh, follows function. So it looks very functional. And uh, even if you see it just standing there, it looks uh, quite fast. And if you compare it uh, to the design of the Ferrari, which had been a little bit outdated in that uh, season, you can imagine that uh, it was the superior car, the car to beat in that season. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, Maserati 250F, <laughs> yeah, yeah, great car, uh, again was, uh, was basically, uh, so Fangio drove that car and Sterling Moss drove that car and like other uh, notable people and that's me. <laughs> yes, you did not drove it, but at least uh, 
post gets cited. No, 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 I didn't drive that one. I mean, I'm, I'm very tall. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very tall, so I wouldn't be able to fit into that car. But, you know, I'm, I'm very close to it. <laughs> I'm closer to, than most people to it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, like I said, I, for some reason, I cannot find my picture in Nina Farina's cover. I'm actually in it. <laughs> but this is, yeah, this is, this is actually 1955. Uh, Maserati to, to 50F, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the car that Maserati had up to 1957. Uh, uh, so from basically 1954 to 1957 with different modifications, but yeah. So, and uh, like I said, it was driven by multiple famous drivers. Uh, and this, this one is from uh, the Coventry Transport Museum and it just was um, I was doing a private event there, and uh, they let me. <laughs> they let me very close <laughs> to, to this car, and uh, got my hands on it. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. So. Yes, uh, and, uh, I mean, it also uh, looked very uh, nice. Uh, design very uh, pragmatic. Uh, of course, in, in red, it always looks a little bit more emotional than the silver, but also I think a very uh, practical uh, design, and it very modern and luckily and don't uh, to give you too much spoiler but uh, also Maserati should get the opportunity to win a championship after yeah. mostly being behind Ferrari or behind Mercedes. I also wanted to kind of challenge with this picture I wanted to challenge Patrick your your, your point from one of the last times when we discussed kind of women going into, <laughs> into these types of museums. As you can see, yeah. there are women who, who kind of like that stuff. And uh, I certainly do so. And uh, definitely just want to say that Coventry Transport Museum is a great place. It used to be completely free, uh, but with Brexit, so I think it was funded initially by the European Union mm. and was completely free. Uh, from last year, when the Brexit happened, they became they charge a little bit of money. They charge membership now, but the membership kind of buys you multiple visits. Mm -hmm. And uh, so definitely, if you are in Coventry, do check it out. It's an amazing place. And uh, yeah, this is not a Formula Formula One car. This is Formula Formula Three. Uh, gift uh, car that is made in Wolverhampton, which is again very close to Coventry. Um, and actually, Jack is made <laughs> very close to Coventry. We will Jaguar is made very close to Coventry. So in uh, in um, uh, Lamington Spa and uh, in uh, in in a few other places, kind of near. <laughs> so uh, so this is in West Midlands. But this this I also really love this car, and I just wanted to show it to you uh, because mm -hmm. not only because this is 1954 car, but also because it it's uh, Coventry uh, Transport Museum is a great place to go and. Um, um, do research and uh, understand British racing better. So there are definitely a lot of British things. And, mm. uh, you know, you can see things like this that, uh, you know, and you can see with this car also, like I wanted to sh show it to you because with Patrick, we talked a lot about uh, protection and look at just look at this car this is a four-cylinder car it's it's mm. fast <laughs> trust me it's fast but there's nothing that protects you you basically are out in the open you are sitting there yes. 
uh, as a driver and like yeah i mean if something happens like there is nothing that protects you absolutely nothing yes and interesting uh, this is a 54 formula swicker but in opposite to formula one the, this year it is a mid-engine car yeah so yeah something what happened in formula one uh, only some years later and also uh, was a development coming from the british teams yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, also, I think it looks a lot more polished uh, compared to Formula One cars that we've seen uh, from kind of the British teams, right? In terms of, you know, it looks like it looks like it was put together professionally and uh, all that. So, yeah, so, so, but definitely, like I said, a great museum. And if you want to see some cool makes and uh, they constantly change, um, exposition and how they do things so definitely i i uh, used to go there very often and my son is now four and uh, uh he he's been there since birth <laughs> i think <laughs> not uh, not every weekend but i think once a month we would go and uh, look uh, uh, at, uh, at cars there and definitely a great place for any age yeah I would assume, even if I never have been to Coventry. With that, uh, we are coming to the Ferrari team. And uh, as mentioned at the beginning, um, they deployed uh, two different uh, cars. The, uh, on the right, you see the 625. I must admit, I not found a photo on the internet, uh, at least not one uh, which uh, doesn't have a copyright. So uh, this is a little model and uh, interesting. I can hold it in the camera. Mm -hmm. It's the fifth. Oh, sorry. There's the camera. You mm -hmm. see, it's practically uh, the 500, which they already used since uh, 1952. Luckily, the, this uh, design had enough space so they could fit now the Formula One engine after, before they used it uh, with the smaller Formula um, Two uh, engines. Uh, so nothing new. Uh, interesting, since the end of uh, 53, Ferrari also developed a new uh, model, as I said uh, in the beginning. This one has a tubular uh, space uh, frame, so you could uh, make it a little bit more aerodynamic, as you may see here. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit lower than the 500 or the 625. And... Um, but for some reason, they, uh, well, I know the reason I, in opposite uh, to today, the teams did not have been limited uh, to two drivers, but uh, sometimes had uh, four or five drivers. So uh, they had to recycle the cars uh, from the earlier season, also because the budget had been nowhere near to what uh, teams uh, today uh, are spending. Mm -hmm. So it is not like uh, today that uh, every year, every season you design, develop a complete new car, but uh, you develop your car and uh, then uh, you use it maybe for four or five uh, years, at least in the beginning, in the 1950s. You make some changes, um, but uh, it's practically uh, still uh, a used uh, car. And uh, maybe this is one of the reasons why Ferrari not really could uh, compare with the new developments from Maserati and uh, Mercedes-Benz. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think this is uh, also, I remember when we discussed the uh, 1950 season, Patrick, you said that, you know, there's uh, the basically the original cut does not exist anymore because yes. it was basically, <laughs> it was then, re, you know, re redesigned um, and, and used. Uh, so, yeah, so that's probably another reason, you know, when... Yes, and I mean, from an engineering point of view, it makes it also difficult for the team as you cannot concentrate on the development of one car, but you have to see how I can develop the 553 or how I develop the 625. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have to split up my engine, uh, engineering workforce, which also makes it more difficult to keep yeah. up. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, the, what, I mean, what we discussed today, why we want to have automation, standardization, etc. Yeah, Cooper Bristol. Uh, again, uh, I think it's uh, pretty much uh, the same as the the previous uh, the previous yeah. season car. Yeah, looks a little bit like vacuum cleaner, like I said before. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, but it's, uh, again, it's, uh, you know, the, I think one of the, the good thing about uh, Cooper Bristol is uh, it allowed, um, um, yeah, many um, prospective drivers to be noticed. So this team is very good. Yeah, for example, like Mike Hawthorne uh, was actually yes. driving Cooper Bristol before he, he was spotted by Enzo Ferrari. And uh, uh, this the, the Cooper Bristol was actually a pretty cool car to have in Formula 2 back in the day. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so this is also their kind of first attempts to be in Formula 1 and, you know, um, uh, so we've seen it in previous seasons and, uh, you know, this is again the British engineering uh, there for you so in green. Um, yeah, this is Bill Vukovic car. Uh, you've seen it last time. We showed it to you last okay. time. Uh, it's exactly the same car. Uh, yeah, nothing, kind of, as you can see, nothing changed. But yeah, he won two, uh, two Indianapolis Formula One um, um races in it so which is amazing <laughs> exactly but and, and like we, we discussed previously with patrick it's as you can see that, that there is a difference between american <laughs> american yeah. cars and 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 and, and uh, the european uh, cars so yeah exactly i mean if you're just looking on the photo it looks uh, already like american design a little bit uh, uh, bigger and uh, and yeah. in, opposite, in opposite to Formula One uh, in the US, uh, we, we already had uh, the uh, stickers from the different sponsors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And of course, we, we didn't have uh, the uh, national colors because IndyCar was, uh, even if it's maybe called an international championship, it's only in US or in Canada. Mm -hmm. Or, of course, uh, the the colors uh, had been depending on the on the team and on the sponsors. Yeah, exactly. So it was a little bit a little bit more commercial. But again, we are not saying that you know it was worse or better. No, no, I, so, I said yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying like yeah. Some don't think that we are suggesting that. It's very. It's still very difficult circuit. And as Patrick mentioned before, the it was important to be um, to be experienced. Exactly, and uh, um, you know, uh, we not only had the Indianapolis 500, but we have the whole IndyCar uh, series. 
and uh, most of the races are on uh, ovals. So these cars are particular uh, designed uh, on on for uh, being successful on ovals, meaning driving full speed all the time. And so that's maybe one of the reasons which uh, have been underestimated by Ferrari as they came um, to Indianapolis and uh, practically with the forecast only one qualified and even this, uh, the qualified car not saw the checkered flag at the end. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Great, and uh, with this we're coming to the last car, which is the Lancia D50. On the left we see Alberto Ascari, and uh, it's a little bit a uh, hybrid car. Uh, it's uh, between the uh, open wheel, like the Ferrari and Maserati, or the complete closed uh, aerodynamic Mercedes, as we saw in the beginning of the 90s. Uh, five, uh, sorry, 1954 season. Yeah, uh, absolutely weird panels at the sides, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it, make it, uh, it made the car a, a little bit easier uh, to, to, maneuver. to drive because mm -hmm. uh, you had the weights, uh, the distribution of weights also at, at the side and with this you could play a little bit. And uh, with this it was uh, not only fast, but also, let's say, I think, quite mm -hmm. uh, easy to drive so you can see a little bit it's really uh, yeah, the left yeah. and the right like separated uh, mm -hmm. parts of the car and so a quite uh, uh, revolutional uh, um, design including a strong uh, v8 engine as we see here on the right uh, so quite interesting and also i think a quite uh, beautiful car mm -hmm. Definitely, and we finally have it at the end of the season <laughs> to yes, race. Yes, we finally get it. <laughs> at least we saw it starting to race. Yeah, that's it. That's it. But uh, we, we will see it uh, still some uh, years more. Yeah, that definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in terms of people, yeah, we've uh, we kind of talked at length about uh, Fangio already, and um, we talked a little bit about Gonzalez when we talked about Fangio. We will talk about Mike Hawthorne um, uh, so in, uh, in later episodes. Uh, yeah. yeah, very also very cool guy, but yeah, passed away when he was uh, 29 years old only. So yeah, very, yes, very and, uh, I think his life and death also is quite uh, mysterious, a little bit like uh, Alberto Ascari. And this is why I think we will also have a separate uh, episode about him. Um, interesting uh, from this three is that uh, now uh, Jose Freilan Gonzalez, he most the years before he had been like uh, the uh, more like a I wouldn't say a supporting driver, but he never had been the number one driver. Uh, now that uh, Fancho uh, left, uh, practically he was the number one driver for Maserati, and uh, we see he did uh, quite good. He uh, finished uh, second in the championship. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So definitely, uh, uh, I think uh, a very under underestimated figure in, uh, in, in uh, Formula One, uh, um, Josef and Gonzalez. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's good. It's good to see him in this lineup, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, uh, we, we still were not able to find a good photo of Bill Vukovic. If you guys are watching, if you have a good photo of him, do, do share. 
um, you know, he, he definitely, he, this is the guy who won both of the Indianapolis races that we talked about this year, and the, 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 I mean in 1954 and 1953. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we have also um, uh, Karl Kling, uh, also quite an iconic yeah. <laughs> person. Um, yeah, and, and you see we are, we are uh, advancing in time, so I think it's the first uh, episode where we show here uh, color photos. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yes. Yeah, we had we had El Grafico photos before in oh, I think last year for the last year, uh, but yeah, the, not not in, not in this many, <laughs> not in this numbers definitely. Yeah, and um, uh, I mean especially uh, the photos from uh, Karl Kling here reminds me a lot to the uh, to photos from Kraftwerk. It's the mm -hmm. same; they use the same uh, styling normally. Yeah. Their photos, concerts, whatever. Yeah. And again, uh, pay attention to the age. Yes. We already discussed this at length, but yeah, just, just, just wanted to point people at the fact that, you know, you needed experience back in the day to be able to I, do this. Exactly. But slowly uh, we get also some uh, younger people. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, Hans Hermann in the 54 season, he was only 26. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the photo is not of him being 26, <laughs> obviously. No, but, obviously <laughs> but he he's much older in the photo, but he was 26 yeah. at the time. Yeah, Luigi Mus, uh, we will we will talk about him. Um yeah, also tragically uh, yes. tragically died. Um we will we will discuss the, this uh, again separately. And uh, yeah, Nina Farina again, uh, yeah. 48. This is us. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. At so, least for the time being. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, uh, behavior, uh, characters, wins, accidents, and strategies. So in terms of characters, yeah, I think uh, I think all these four things are pretty yeah. much for me. Like if you go to the next slide, Patrick. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, we already discussed it. Uh, yeah, no, no, I just mean if you go to the next slide, um, yes. this is like, yeah, I think this says it all <laughs> for me. When I found this picture, I just thought, okay, well, this is pretty much what, what we want to talk about. Um, yeah, I think in terms of, um, in, yeah, in terms of people, um, uh, well, it's definitely fun, fun just year, but um, I think it's also... Like I, I really wanted to show this this photo because to me this is kind of the reigning champion and the current champion of the season. Yeah. But then when the reigning champion had to sit out most of the season, the competition is is really not quite uh, what you would expect, uh, at least what not what you would hope for. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, and I also want to say that you know in 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 terms of character. I think they are quite like similar in 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 the way that it's you know ca calculation and passion. Yeah, uh, yeah I agree. Right, and uh, but it it also tells you how much how much difference the the make the car the engineering and the way you think about strategy. Uh, uh, how much difference it makes, right? So one person Fangio made very opportunistic choice to go with Mercedes and he mm -hmm. won, right? 
and another person, uh, Ascari, so he he made a choice to go with Lancia, uh, and he 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 basically lost uh, in a sense. He was the, the biggest loser of the season in the sense that he couldn't even do much. Yeah, yeah. And, and and it all it all just tells you how you know this analytics bit is extremely important in drivers' decisions yeah. rather than in you know team decisions or you know engineering uh, engineering and analytics from uh, you know from the pit point of view. So this is this this is really the 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 championship of you know um, making the right strategic decision as a driver. Uh, and yes. this 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 photo I think showcases this whole <laughs> season very well. <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, I I agree, and uh, to, it reminds me to the quote from uh, Julio Cesar Vidi Vidi Vini Vini Vici. I mm -hmm. came saw and uh, won, and I mean, this is uh, Mercedes. Obviously, had been very well prepared uh, with the goal. I would assume to win the races and not just. Uh, uh, participate for two reasons and then slowly uh, become competitive. Uh, exactly, it, this season was also about uh, decision uh, making. I mean, we don't know, uh, we don't have all the uh, behind the scene um, information, so uh, we don't know when um, uh, Fancho uh, became in contact uh, with Mercedes, so maybe it was already clear that he had the opportunity to go there. And maybe uh, Ascari uh, hadn't had uh, the good contacts to uh, Mercedes. I mean, it was uh, quite clear that uh, um, that Ferrari most probably couldn't uh, win uh, the championship uh, because there came uh, Mercedes, which was already uh, known from the in the middle of '53, I think. And even if Mercedes wouldn't have uh, shown up, I think uh, it. Uh, Ascari wouldn't have uh, wouldn't uh, been been able to win the uh, championship against Fancho, even if Fancho would have stayed with Maserati. Yeah, I think I think we we can speculate, but I guess like yeah, yeah, if you if you are watching this this video and you know some you know some facts, some additional mm -hmm. facts, do let us know. Um, yeah, so so to me, kind of this kind of takes care of <laughs> of uh, character strategies and behavior for the season. Yeah. Um, like to me, obviously, the most um, notable accident was, of course, um, you know, the um, yeah the 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 Nürburgring uh, qualifying. Uh, yeah. But uh, I mean, that's uh, that's just I think we just very significant event, and then the chain of events and the chain of uh, fatalities that we will see um, in racing actually had a tremendous effect on the rules yep. and regulations, and uh, ultimately the makes of the cars and strategies that 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 were applied in, in the following in the following seasons. So exactly. yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, another key takeaway is that Formula One uh, became uh, truly an international championship as the years before it was like a, a Italian championship with some British, uh, with some, British <laughs> with some, with some random Brits, <laughs> which, will, which will change, uh, of course, yeah. as we know in later seasons, but let's say the, four, the first four years have been practically Italian championships. 
Yeah, yeah. So, but, but we did have Talbo Lago, like if you were. Yeah, yeah but let's say France. they might have been competitive. Yeah, exactly. So, what we mean is, of course, we ha- we did have international uh, yeah, yeah. entries, say- but yeah, to actually see the rivalry and you know to see the like any anyone other than Italian teams winning was uh, this, this is the first time we we see we see that. And I think this is probably when it became even more interesting <laughs> to to kind of follow and watch uh, this uh, this comp- these competitions. Yeah. Of course, uh, this was also because of um, political uh, reasons. Um, but uh, also, uh, not, not not directly. Sorry, not directly political. But uh, I assume Mercedes-Benz, as a German company, at first. Uh, Uh, to focus on uh, build up uh, their company uh, factories before they think again of of uh, participating because uh, before the second world war we already had very strong teams like mercedes and also auto union and uh, they did a lot of uh, winning mm-hmm. in fact they, uh, before the second world war they had been quite superior to the uh, alfa romeo Yeah, but also I think yeah, like like I said, apart from political reasons, and I think also I guess building building the reputation back up right after after the war was important, but also like you said, you mentioned uh, during this episode that. Uh, we also had technical, like interesting technical developments, like like not body cams, not full body cams, but partial <laughs> cameras yeah. on on actually on uh, on the, the, on the driver on the driver's side. So you know you, you could uh, basically make it more uh, uh, more of a of a visual performance rather than just yeah. kind of going into the uh, into the actual circuit and watching the cars go. Yep. Yes, agreed. Uh, legacy, I think, uh, to me, it's kind of Mercedes drives again. <laughs> again, in the sense that competitive, again, you know, kind of this this type of uh, uh, international scene. So definitely, I think it's a year of Mercedes, uh, but um, equally, I think it's a very unfortunate chain of events for Maserati, like in my in my view, because it's also a fantastic car, fantastic team, yes. uh, and just like everything went wrong for them on a, like st- you know on on this kind of strategy, I guess side, uh, in, in terms of um, you know the driver left. And then they lost a driver in Nürburgring and, you know, all sorts of things happened that just were very unfortunate. Yes, uh, I agree. And uh, so it practically is now the fifth race where Maserati uh, is in second uh, position. Uh, I mean, first it, first it was uh, behind Alfa Romeo, then it was uh, behind uh, Ferrari. Uh, now uh, Alfa left, uh, they overtaken technically Ferrari, but uh, then out of sudden, let's say it that way, Mercedes showed up and uh, again, they they're back to the second row. Yeah, exactly. So this was a 1954 season. Um, again, we, like Patrick and I, we, we, we did a lot of work uh, on Formula One between us, but uh, we do not uh, claim that we know everything. So if you see anything that you want to add, or you disagree with us, or you agree with us, do yeah. let us know. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, thanks a lot. Yeah. Meanwhile, thanks, thanks a lot. And we'll see you next time.
Yep. Again. Bye bye.